Hi guys and welcome to Beer Bubbles podcast. We're sitting here with Jan Erik Janko Svensson, one of Sweden's like largest beer profiles in my eyes at least. I I'm afraid so, yes. <laughs> welcome <laughs> to Beer Bubbles. <laughs> Thanks. And uh, also of course Rasmus is here as always. Hello, hello. Uh, not always, but, um, but he's here yeah. today. <laughs> <laughs> Janko, who is Jan Erik? Do you like it when people call you Janko, or is it Jan Erik? No, Janko is the proper name. Yep. Jan Erik is the given name when I was born, but uh, I listened to the combination Jan Erik Svensson mm. when I used to work before. But in the beer world, it's almost exclusively Janko. The nickname come, you've taken it yourself, basically. The nickname you've decided that Janko is no. Uh, my friends called me that when I was small. Uh, my mother is Czech, and. Uh, my name in diminutive in Czech is Janek, and uh, when when you call someone with that name in the Czech language, it's Janku. Mm-hmm. As if I would call you, it would be Christiane. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, <laughs> they thought my friends when I was a kid thought that I, that was my name. So that stuck. Cool. We've got five beers in front of us. Yes. And I was going to ask you which one do you think we should start with. Well, as we all are used to testing beer, mm. it doesn't really matter. But I think uh, we could start in a quite neutral corner, perhaps with the number two here. The Czech... Uh, sh- should I reveal the yeah, name of, course, of the beer? Of course, okay. It's a Czech brand called Gambrinus. It's brewed in Pilsen um, by the now Asahi-owned Pilsner Breweries. The former Gambrinus and Pilsner Urkel plants are neighboring and practically as one, but there are still two production units. But I don't know if the brands are made separately. Mm-hmm. The brewery has its history from 1869. It was the German-speaking minority in Pilsen that started the Aktienbrauerei Pilsen, but they had a Czech brewmaster. The other brewery, the famous one, was Czech-owned, but they had a Bavarian brewmaster. Yeah, Josef Groll. <laughs> Yes, Josef Grohl. And he started in 1842. But we're going to get come to that later on. Yes, we'll try come to that. So, so we'll start with saying cheers at least. And yes. Uh, welcome to Beer Bubbles. Cheers. There's nothing like the smell of beer in the morning. That perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that early. <laughs> but you've got kind of a background as well. You've been assistant headmaster for Hagelin Skolan. And some other schools before that. That, yeah. that yeah, was my main school as well. Yes, yeah. and tell you Nasiat and, and yes. So that was my main profession when I didn't work with beer. Mm-hmm. And I have never actually worked full time with beer. I worked more with beer in the nineteen nineties when I was studying still. But I've never worked like regularly for a brewery or importer. I, I've done work for Prips that existed in the pre Carlsberg times and some smaller works for other brewers. But mostly have been independent but you've uh, you've studied quite a lot of stuff well i've looked into it you, yeah. languages culture history religion yes yes why beer beer started like uh, just for fun since my mother is czech i think it could be something with the cultural identity as well i remember when i was a kid i really liked the atmosphere in the czech pubs the old guys in their 30s <laughs> sitting there <laughs> drinking beer, very cool atmosphere. And then when I 
got older, I, I started to look into the beer cultures in, in neighboring countries. In, in that era, there was not many pubs in that style in Sweden. So I'm born in the mid-60s. So for most of us, we got to know beer when traveling to countries like Belgium, Britain, Czech Republic, Germany. Not even United States in that time. It, it just started in the 1980s, but uh, has developed... Quickly and, and largely. Yes. <laughs> was, it, was it something specifically that made you want to go to study even more beer? Well, if you're young and, and uh, get to know something, it's not that difficult to get ahead of, of your friends. And when you can a little more than others about something, it's just natural to buy some books. That time I bought Michael Jackson's books. Not King of Pop. King no, of, King of Beer. <laughs> yes. He was the first to, to, to write popularly about beer for, for the consumer, not uh, only for the brewer. But both so. beer, with beer and whiskey. Yes, right, yeah. yes. He was kind of the godfather yes. uh, when it comes to um, modern beer drinking, at least. Yes, mm. uh, and the popular description of, of the beer world. Not only scientific, but for normal people. And you've also been the head judge for... Because uh, last time I interviewed you was for my last podcast, El Podden. Yes. And that was actually at Stockholm Beer and Whiskey. Yes, yes. And you will have been the head judge for ages and ages, yes. it feels like. Well, uh, I started to work there in 95. It was the third year. And then, not every year here in the end, but many years I have been having lectures, beer tastings and... Uh, have been a head judge uh, for the competition. And there wasn't any uh, Stockholm Beer Whiskey Festival last year? Or do you think it's going to be one this year? I don't know. I have stopped to try to predict what is going to happen and not. So I really don't know. I heard yesterday on the radio that some music festivals that were planned, uh, like that one in Blekinge with a black-dressed, long-haired people. <laughs> was it Sweden Rock? Sweden Rock. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, that they are not going to have it this year. So the Beer and Whiskey Festival used to be in September, October. Perhaps there is another situation then, but since the, the vaccine is delayed all the time, I don't know really. Let's hope uh, Bruskeville stays. <laughs> oh, well, we booked Bruskeville already, which is last weekend of August. So um, yes. hopefully we'll, we'll see some new restrictions by then. Yes, I, I think that uh, different uh, arrangers of beer festivals will make different decisions as well. Yeah. I know my wife works in the museum world and like Skansen, the most popular outdoor museum in the world perhaps, they have closed entirely for the whole winter season. I guess they want to save the, the wage cost, but many others ha have, have opened. So, But you've been a part of the beer scene for a very long time. How has it uh, developed over the years? Has it changed a lot? Yes, very much. I started like a consumers activist in the mid-80s in Svenska Ölfrämjandet, the Swedish Beer Consumers Association. And in that time there were like 10 brewers or so in Sweden and uh, there was a real threat to the Swedish beer culture that we would have only a handful of breweries and perhaps state-owned and so on. And, and they all brewed the same beer basically. Basically, yes. Uh, variations of the same beer. Even if I feel that the differences between light-colored lager beers were bigger then than now. They had a little more individuality. But I was younger as well, so... <laughs> <laughs> then uh, there started to come new breweries and, and more interesting pubs in the 90s. We had the start of the pub wave uh, in the early 90s. The first breweries that lasted came in the mid-90s. 
I think that Ola Fors and Ninus Hamn are among the survivors i Jämtland. And then there was a new wave in the early or first half of the 2000s. Uh, Oppegårds and... Uh, Oppegård, uh, Dugge, Närke, more American-influenced. The breweries from the 90s ma- mainly brewed uh, beers due to classic European styles. Well, and then, I mean, the last 10 years, I've lost track. Uh, I Up to 10, 15 years ago, I knew every brewer in Sweden and practically every brewer as well. <laughs> I knew their history and, and life and so on, but... Now, when there is like between four and five hundred breweries in Sweden, uh, I have no chance. I remember when I worked at uh, Oddbeg Room. Yes. I actually had the telephone number to every brewery in Sweden. Yes. I know them by first name and they knew me. Yes. <laughs> and I still have people coming in, like, have you heard about this new brewery, this and that? And I'm like, no, I haven't got a chance to <laughs> yes. find, find out about these new breweries because there's so many. Yes. And the explosion has been enormous. Yes. So now I rely on, on uh, younger bloggers and journalists that keep track of the new breweries. And when I have questions, I ask them. I mean, in one, two or three years, if someone is really good, you hear about it. Yeah. So I, I, I have not the, the grip that I had like 20 years ago. But. but I think Beer News is actually doing a big thing for us there. They constantly come with new news about new breweries. We, yes. we learn quite a lot from beernews.se. Yes, yes. And I also have contact with Porte Steken, Johan mm. Lenner, that uh, he, he keeps track uh, and count the breweries. So. Yeah. You are quite synonymous with lagers. When, when you talk about Janko, you think lagers. I do, at least. Yes, I think many people do. Uh, sometimes I, I think I don't like that because I'm a big fan of, of all classic beer styles and some of the half modern as well. I'm a little too old for the <laughs> New England stuff, but uh, I, honestly, I have had some good beers in that style as well. But when I started, th- there was a big fascination about the, the new uh, American-influenced ales, hopped with floral and fruity hops from the New World. And uh, I felt that there is a, a beer treasure in Central Europe, in Bavaria, and mostly in, in, in the province of Franconia, in the north of Bavaria, and in the Czech Republic, or Czechia, that uh, was virtually unknown here. Uh, they made very good, uh, traditionally made lager beers with a taste as rich as any ale. So it was like a crusade for me. Now... At least here in Sweden, I think that is uh, quite established through Nynäs Hams own bryggeri, Närke Kulturbryggeri and their contacts with, uh, with Franconia and, uh, of course, from Franciscaner and Sten Isaksson that circulates uh, very interesting beers from smaller Franconian breweries. And there are some Czech-influenced pubs as well here in Stockholm. Uh, and in other major towns and cities in Sweden as well. So today I would perhaps fight more for the traditional British bitter or something like that. Mm. We've got five beers in front of us. Yes. Yeah. Rasmus, could you tell us what, because you've actually the one who sourced these beers. <laughs> uh, or uh, rather, I sent him to Stemologet yesterday and then I forgot to ask him about what he bought. <laughs> so he, he came away with five different beers. I really liked his selection though. So could you tell us what we have in front of us? Uh, we try the Gambrinus. We try the Gambrinus. We also have a Pilsner Ruquel. Yep. Because you can't talk about lager and pills without having a Pilsner Ruquel. Yes. We have a Kellebeer Hell. We have a Schwickel beer. And a Landsort lager. Landsort lager from Ninus. Since we talked about Ninus, why shouldn't we try the Landsort lager? Yeah, sure. The middle one. Mm. Yes. Well, cheers again then, guys. Cheers. 
I would classify this beer as classic but modern. Yes, if no. you know what I mean. It's it's a bit. It's almost like a, a Hellas because it's got that like malty body to it, but yes. it's got some modern hops in it as well. I, I think all hops they have in are Czech South hops. Okay, okay. So mm-hmm. I think it's more the, the composition or the combination between the malt and hops. The malt base is makes the beer very soft. It's fairly highly attenuated, I think, so it's, it's more on the dry side, even if you feel the malt. And then it's not dry like a German-style Pilsner beer, but it still has a good attenuation, and then the, the hop comes forward, as compared with the Czech beer we tasted before. That is more like rounded and malty in the character. Uh, so. I, I had a question, though. We have a Schwickel and a Keller beer. Yes. And most beer tastings that I've gone through, yes. they clump these beers together. What's the difference between a Schwickel and a Keller? Well, practically today on beers from other regions than Franconia, these two beers we have here, the Keller and the Schwickel, are from southern Bavaria. It practically means unfiltered beer. So uh, the Keller beer tradition, Keller means cellar. And in the old times, the lager producers stored their beer after the primary fermentation in cellars and caves cut out in the hillsides outside the villages and cities. And they planted chestnut trees to make the entrance uh, shadowy. And then some clever guy noticed that it was rather nice to sit there in front of the cellar and and go for the fresh maturing beer and they started to put up benches and tables outside and then the beer keller was born it means beer cellar but it's really a beer garden in the shadow of the chestnut trees so that's the story about the keller beer zwickel is uh, the same as in swedish färskgöl or grönöl it's the beer after the primary fermentation but before the lagering so Zwickel beer is the uncleared, unfiltered beer that's not really ready to drink yet. But today it's used mostly about uh, ready-to-drink beer but not filtered, just like Keller beer. So mostly unfiltered, more than often unpasteurized as well? Yes, if you pasteurize it, you, you will kill the yeast off. So it's just plain industry beer with dead yeast in it, mm. so it has no point. Since it is a bottom fermenter or cold fermented beer... They used big ice blocks from the lakes yes. to, to keep the cellars cool and at a constant temperature yes, so yes. they could actually ferment and, and lager the beer at a, at a, at a cold temperature yes. in these caves. The method is known. It's not exactly known when it started, but there are some written records from the 15th century, like 1450 in Nuremberg, 1480s in Naburg, that's in Oberpfalz in northeastern Bavaria. And the method developed to an industry in the 1830s in Munich. That's why Munich is a famous brewing city. In those days, it was only dark beer there. Could be interesting to know. And the cooling machine was invented by by a German called Karl von Linde in 1875. So in the period before that, or before you had the money to buy the cooling machine, uh, you had to saw ice out of the ponds or lakes or rivers in the vicinity of the brewery. And uh, you also had to make a brewing pause during the summer. So you brew practically from St. Michael's Day in the Catholic calendar, that's in the end of September. And you brew to St. Joseph's Day, that's the end of March. And in April to mid-September, you did not brew at all. You drank what you had. You drank what you had. (laughs) uh, What if they ran out? (laughs) Yeah, there is a tradition in in the German-speaking lands uh, called Merzenbeer, March beer, 
So the last beer you brewed for the season, you made it a little stronger and in the beginning a little more hoppy to last over the summer because the ice, of course, will melt even in the cool cellar. And uh, then you consumed it before the new beer was ready, the beer from the new season, the autumn beer. It's so that's where the bock beers come from as well. So yeah. you have something... Or was that just fest beer? Yes, basically? yes. There are some legends about the bock beer as well. The story that you often heard it is that it was like export type beer from the city of Einbeck or town of Einbeck in the north of Germany that got popular when uh, the brewers in Munich started to bottom ferment it. But I think it's a more generic style for festive beer. And uh, in different regions of Bavaria, you have uh, different bock beers traditions. In southern Bavaria, you have the spring bock, like in May, often a little lighter in color, high attenuated. Then you have the double bock before Easter. The ones that the names always end with Ator. Yes. Uh, the Luminator. Uh, yes. And in Franconia, they drink bock beers before uh, Christmas. So uh, I think that's another tradition, really. Should we try the Schwickel and the Kellerbeer together? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think we'll start with the Keller. Looks yeah. a bit lighter in colors. Yes. It's the lightest in the selections that we have. Still quite clear, though. Yeah, I think I didn't shake the bottle up that no. badly. But I, I think, I think it's, um, it's a little misunderstanding to think that an unfiltered beer must be very hazy. It's mm. popular now with the new types of IPAs from the East Coast tradition of the United States. But I mean, I know several brewers that don't filter their beers and are just slightly hazy. But they crash cool it or they, they cool it really quickly. That means that the yeast will actually fall to the bottom of the fermenter. Yes, and, and most modern yeasts uh, or modern yeast types, they will flock together and uh, really don't stay in the beer. It's not crystal clear, but it's not like hazy. That's much more full in flavor than the, it's very the last one. Very different flavors. Mm -hmm. these two. Yes, I think the first one, the Hohentanner Kellerbier, it was just like a very plain, ordinary German lager beer. Mm -hmm. If you would not read on the label or see that the beer is slightly hazy, you would not notice that it's unfiltered. I think this one, Wieninger Zwickelbier, it's uh, much more like the Gambrinus we tasted mm -hmm. first. Uh, round, little honeyish, malty, and has a much more traditional... They're both good beers, though. Uh, I, I wouldn't mind that one ice cold in a beer garden. Of course. The <laughs> beer. Um, I wouldn't mind sitting at... I've been quite a lot to Munich. Yes. And I love sitting at Hackepschor. Yes. Because every 15 minutes you hear the bonk. Uh, yes. And then you put two fingers in the air and they bring you two new beer straight from a new barrel that they've taken up from yes, the basement. Yes, yes. You, you mean the Hackepschor at Viktualienmarkt? Yeah, Viktualienmarkt. Yeah, yes. And then also you, you can find one of my favorite restaurants on Viktualienmarkt, which is uh, Bratwurzherzl. Okay. Um, I have never been there. So. You should go. It's okay. fantastic. Uh, Bavarian-style food? or uh, They do a Nürnberger Bratwurst only. Okay. Or not only. They have a, a Hacks and stuff like that. But yes, yes. They, are, they do uh, grilled... Or smoked, boiled Nürnbergers. Yes. Uh, and then you order whatever you want. It always comes with either Kartoffelsalat or, or Sauerkraut. Yes. Uh, but then you can order like uh, potato puree or yeah. or whatever you want. And you always got a big jar of German mustard on the table. Yeah, yeah. W what beer do they have there, if you uh, remember? Oh, you know, I'll come back to the. You know what? I've, since I've got my computer in front of me, I'll actually have a look. Yeah, okay. But... Uh, <laughs> You can keep on asking another question while I look up this. One question we were thinking about, since lagers, 
is a very broad style. Yes. And we were discussing this because we had an episode a few weeks back where we talked about micro and macro. Yes. And the, the thing we, we realized was is macro slash craft beers always better than macro? And can macro beers be craft beers? Well, I think many breweries are using the term craft beers. So I would personally not call the very smallish brewers in Franconia that are making the beer in the crafty way. I would not call them craft breweries, even if they are uh, in the original sense of the of the word, because craft brewing has to it uh, something else about the culture around the brewery as well. So I, I refer to them as traditional brewers, traditional small brewers. I think a craft brewery must be a newly, I mean the last 40 or 50 years, mm. established brewery. So... And uh, no, I mean, my heart beats mostly for the older, smaller or mid-sized brewers. Many large breweries tend to make a little more brand beer, bland beers. And among craft breweries, you have the risk of uh, quality control and that uh, the brewers are aiming a little beside the original style. So, of course, you have the risk of off-tastes and so much more in craft beers and also in small traditional breweries. But uh, I find that the most interesting Czech beers often come from uh, older, mid-sized regional brewers. There are some exceptions, some very good new craft brewers as well, making very traditional beer. And in uh, Bavaria and Franconia, for the most, when you talk about traditional lager beer, the best ones are the smallest ones. But among the smallest ones, there are a higher percentage of really bad beers as well. So it's a little complicated. But if you go to, say, Bamberg... Yes. I don't think I've had a bad beer in Bamberg, even though some of the breweries are quite small. Yes. Well, I had quite a few bad beers in Bamberg, but but, uh, I know what you mean. They are uh, quite decent everywhere. Apart from the smoke beers, you have uh, some more interesting beers, in my opinion, in the countryside around Bamberg. But the situation is volatile. I have been through this a couple of times you you discover a brewery with an older brewer the beer is fantastic then the brewer is getting too old or dies the children take over the beer goes down starts to smell like butter and has a much poorer quality and then uh, after a couple of years the brewery is closed and they buy beer from another brewery so it goes in waves you really have to I know some people in the region, and when I plan a trip there, they always tell me, you should look out for these breweries now, and your old favorites, these two are really going bad now. You can't be sure that the beers you liked five years ago are still there. So the the traditions die out, basically. Well, it can go the other way as well. You can look at Andreas Garnsteller. He's not the oldest guy in, in Bamberg. No. But he does some fantastic beers. Yes, of course. And I have more examples of beers that grumpy old men, I think, have been doing. But then when the sons take over, they are more interested also not only in, in beer making, but also in marketing. And the beer improves from generation to generation. So it's not always that the beer will be worse. Some beers go better when the generation changes. So well. when people go down to that part of the world to try beers, yes. they should send you an email first and check what places they should try, try That out. would be a very good idea. Yeah. <laughs> I always say that I want to report after they come home. Mm. Very few do that. That's sad. So if, if mm. you send me an email... 
please don't forget to give me a report <laughs> after the trip. <laughs> so does every brewery have to have a good lager beer? No. I mean, when I look out breweries, at least in Central Europe, I most often look for the breweries that are doing only one style. And, and many of the best brewers do only one beer, be it uh, a wheat beer that's top fermented, not a lager, or a traditional lager. As soon as they start to make a selection of beers, there is a risk that, well, there are some very good brewers of, of uh, more beer styles as well, but I don't think that a good wheat brewery uh, necessarily should have a lager. Because they b- lose focus or...? I don't know. It's it's just uh, perhaps my prejudice as well, but uh, the normal thing in, in southern Bavaria is that uh, smaller lager brewers are adding wheat beer mm. To their line because many people want wheat beer. I looked up uh, Bradford's Herzl. They take their lagers from Akershor okay. and their uh, vice beers from Paulaner. Okay, that's Heineken both. Yeah, mm. yeah. <laughs> basically. Both me and Rasmus have this theory that if a brewery does a good lager beer, they have a clean brewery and they will make quite good beer overall. Could be so. I have never thought about that in that way. Because it's so hard to make a clean, nice lager. You have yes. to have everything to a point. You've got yes. nothing to hide behind. Yes. And if you make a good lager, you probably will do good yes. beers. It's a sign that the brewer will wash his hands on occasion. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Once but in a while. <laughs> but I mean, there are plenty of, of uh, still working, very good uh, ale brewers in, in Britain that does not make a lager. So uh, I don't think it's a general rule, but there is something to it, yes. Yeah, I think you see it among the, the Swedish craft brewers. But if, if, uh, if you want to judge them really, you should perhaps start with one of their lager beers mm. to see if they have a, a, a clean profile, true to style. Then often the ales are good as well. Is beer still as much fun? And if so, how? And if not, why? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think that beer is as much fun. Perhaps you get more picky. So I could be, like 30 years ago, I could be enthusiastic over rather plain beers because you can find interesting things in every product. (coughs) But nowadays, most I I stick to brands that I'm sure I will like in one respect or another there are not always the best beers but i like the brands for some reason and uh, among the best is of course when you come to a place where you've never been but you heard of and you can see for yourself that the beer is really good you add something new to your knowledge base of the best beers and and, uh, where there are hundreds of breweries still in central europe that, that i haven't been to and i have been to many so there is quite a landscape to look out in when i look at the beer business now to me it starts to become more and more polarized where people are doing polar opposites either classic or crazy crazy yes the the middle ground is not there i've been trying to find a nice dry swedish stout yes and there's a million ipas and there's three or four really nice stouts yes that's true uh, and uh, which Swedish brewer will make uh, like plain, simple Belgian ale in the style of the Koning or something like that? When you have something in the Belgian style, it's a saison or something with bread in it or, or it's sour or something like that. So, Is that a thing, really? 
that it it's becoming more polarized. Well, if you say so, I mean, I haven't thought about it like that, but it, it seems plausible that it is like that. And is there room for more adventures in this middle ground where things are maybe not uh, coconut, marshmallow and bacon, but still not just a standard best bitter or a yes. standard lager? Well, I think so. I, I think it's interesting to follow the waves in the brewing world, what people are interested in and so on. I know many people that have started in, in the stronger ale and perhaps tried to make stouts or Belgian-style beers. Of course, the traditional West Coast American styles as well. When they are more experienced, they want to do a good British-style bitter or a, a clean, tasty lager. So I think when you develop as a brewer, it's perhaps more interesting to do more traditional styles as well. Because you want to do good beer, not just crazy beer. Yes, you perhaps develop your taste and your skills. So I think it's like that. I brought a beer today, which we are going to try in some YouTube clips yeah. in the near future. And I brought the Dugas Tropic Tropic Thunder Thunder, okay. which is the Tropic Thunder, but a double. Yeah. It's a double <laughs> sour fruit ale, Yeah, which is... I had never heard of that before, so I think it's something newer. And trends are always developing, becoming new trends. What do you think is coming next, like the big, oh. the big thing? I haven't been able to predicate this for many years. <laughs> uh, well, what I see, it's already here, but the return to more traditional styles is something of a trend. I mean, brewers that are famous for their American-style ales, like Ole Andersson in Gothenburg, his Ekta Pils is very traditional in Central European style. So I think more brewers will go in that direction, but I, I really don't know what the consumer will be asking for. Because Oppegård started a new line with just classic beers. Yes. Stieg Bergets also. Yes. A new series of just classic yes. uh, Pilsner, Rauch beer, yes. uh, mm. traditional ales and stuff. They're going in the direction of... Uh, like what we're uh, liking. Let's get the British back. <laughs> the, the direction of Linus Hamn or, or Helsinger Ongbryggeri, they have more classic palettes. Mm. But you mentioned Pils. So yes. why shouldn't we try Pilsner yeah. Rukwell? Yeah. <laughs> which, I, which I heard was one of your favorites. Well, yes, uh, it should be everyone's. Uh, <laughs> not perhaps the definitive favorite, but I hear that many younger tasters say that this beer is bland and boring, but they are really... They can be bland and boring. <laughs> what's, what's the best way to drink a Pilsner Rukwell? In a pub in Czechia. <laughs> Yeah. Unfiltered, unpasteurized. It doesn't have to be that. I mean, my favorite pubs uh, have filtered and pasteurized beer from the normal keg, but they have very good uh, barmen that know how to pour the beer and special like uh, with the side pour. Yes, so you have the wet foam. Then you have the tank beer that uh, started with a very bad reputation in the 1990s, but it has re reclaimed its reputation. So there are many pubs all over Czechia, and of course most in Prague, that are doing very good beer served from the tank. Tankovna, what's it called? Oh, Tankov Epivo, oh. yes. <laughs> Tankovna, yes, yeah. you can say that. And then there are some pubs, but there are not many in Czechia that are selling the unfiltered beer. Many Czechs don't believe that there are pubs in Stockholm selling that because mm. uh, it's seen in Czechia as a real rarity. So tell us a bit about Pils Åkvall, the Ur Pils. Yes, well, it... Uh, it is uh, famous for being the first mass-produced light-colored lager. Sometimes it's in doubt, was it really the first light-colored lager? And I don't think the question is that interesting because the method of bottom fermenting has been around 
for like 600 years and uh, in ancient times people made sun-dried malt that was pale in color so i mean before beer was an industry you had perhaps all the styles we know today in some respect or another but uh, you can really talk about beer styles when when uh, it develops into an industry so uh, that's when the the breweries are forced to describe the beers in one way or, or another it's sold on a capitalist market and transported long away so we make beer of this style it was not interesting for people before that so this beer was marketed as a light-colored bottom-fermented beer. With a German brewmaster in Pilsen. <laughs> yes. I mean, in those days, there were quite a lot of brewers in today's Czechia that made lager beers, but no one with industrial experience. So they had to find someone who could manage the beer factory. And Josef Grohl was that guy. And uh, he perhaps had to adapt the recipe to the very soft water of Pilsen because during the mashing you have to have a specific pH in the water or in, in the mash. And uh, soft water with fewer minerals and salts combines better with pale colored malts. So that would be one explanation to that. And also the barley grown in today's Czechia and, of course, the hops uh, were of very high quality even then. So the beer had very good properties in the nose and the taste. So it was uh, really good. You could have very bitter beer without being harsh because the hops are, are distinct but very soft in the character. And uh, the rounded malty taste as well from the very suitable barley for beer. So they say in 1842. Yes, as the starting year of Pilsen Oakwell, yes. or at least in the new, in this with the golden lager, basically. Yes, the brewery was founded like uh, two or three years before. So, so this was their first beer. The money came from twelve local brewers that put their capital together and and built a brand new brewery according to Bavarian tradition or the new Bavarian industrial architecture and machinery and so on. And if you go to Pilsen, you have to go to the Pilsner Museum? Of course. For one, you have the brewery, of course. It's like really a tourist trap, but still interesting. If you're going to go to the restaurant, rather go to the Gambrinus restaurant. That's actually better than the Pilsner yes. restaurant, in my opinion. <laughs> in the brewery area yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. When I was there a couple of years ago, it was really interesting because we saw bo- both the old Urquell and the old Gambrinus production unit, so that was interesting. Then, of course, the Brewery Museum, that's, uh, I mean, between the brewery and the main square, so it's uh, it's walking distance everywhere. And then you have uh, close to the main square in the old town of Pilsen, the pub Uzalsmanu. That has tank beer, uh, but very good. And you can compare the tank beer Uzalsmanu with the unfiltered beer at the pub adjacent to the museum, Uparkano. We were talking about Munich before, and you can't talk about Munich without talking about uh, Reinheitsgebot. Yes. Because Reinheitsgebot is actually a, a regional law from the beginning, yes. from the Munich area. It's from the, I think, 1300s or something, the first... It's interesting that the Reinheitsgebot from 1516 has become so famous, because there were similar regulations even earlier, locally. This was perhaps the first that was for the whole of Duchy of Bavaria, but it was not uh, applied for the rest of Germany until 1905. So it's really not that old a tradition. There were many, many breweries in other parts of Germany making 
rice lagers around the year 1900. So I, I think that when Germany, Germany unified in, in 1871, there were discussions be, uh, between the states which laws should be applied. And I think that in the negotiations, the, the Bavarian brewers came through with this principle to, to st- strengthen their, their position. And, and so. the old-style Berliner Weiss, which is actually an old-style, yes. not a new style, but many people think it's quite a new thing because it disappeared for ages and ages, Yes, and now it's come back again. But that's not really brewed according to Reinhard's Geburt either, is it? I don't know about the Berliner Weiss. I think it could be, but, but Gorze is not, no? because you have salt and coriander mm-hmm. in the beer. But even the original Reinhardsgebot, even there you had, it was allowed to use sugar in top fermenting beers, for instance. But they never mentioned yeast. No. Because they didn't know what yeast was. No, they knew perhaps what it was, but they couldn't define yeast in the proper way. So I think they, they used uh, some of the old beer to start the fermentation. Like a sourdough uh, yes, yes. thing. But isn't it true that Reinhardsgebot, from the very beginning at least, was more of a health law because people used different kinds of herbs to bitter their beers and some of them weren't that good for you. Well, I don't know. I know that in Cologne, in the northwest of Germany, there was a law against hop beers because they had a big trade in other herbs. Oh. So <laughs> it, it's it's more, I mean, to protect the trade. One suggestion about the Reinhardsgebot is that uh, uh, they wanted to... to uh, save the wheat and rye for for bread baking i mean it's it's something more of a, of a perhaps because of taxation and also because of agreements in the agriculture what to use where and so on in today's market is reinhardsgebot a dinosaur is it something that should be not seen as a law anymore it is not a law anymore because germany is part of the eu but i think most german brewers proudly put it on their caps or labels brewed according to the German purity law. I think that today many people outside Germany really doesn't care because uh, if you make a good beer like some Czech traditional regionals that put in 5% sugar to start the fermentation quicker and so on, as long as the beer is good and it's not like poisonous, uh, <laughs> <laughs> why bother? If it doesn't kill you, it'll make you stronger. Yes. <laughs> At least you would die happy. Yeah. We've got a few more questions for you. Janko Poddel. Yes. New thing. you got your own podcast. Yes, yes. Well, uh, I have a, an old beer friend called Peter Axelsson. And we have been making plans like for the last 10 or 15 years to do something around beer. He's much more entrepreneurial than I am. He, he has many ideas. He works with marketing. So... He knows these things. I'm like more of a bookworm and, and more theoretical. I like to drink beer, write about beer, talk about beer. But and I'm you not like the history about beer. Yes, but I'm not that good or interested in promoting myself in, 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 in different uh, areas. Not uninterested, but I have not the fantasy to, to find out how and how to make ma- money out of it. And, so. <laughs> and of course, the Janko Podden is not about money, but it's fun to talk about beer. He's a really good conversation partner. Just like we're talking here, it feels very natural. And uh, we have the opportunity to d- dig deep in uh, different areas. You can look it out uh, on Instagram as well. And uh, on Spotify. Yes, and with the links we'll put out I will put the links the to, to the podcast yes, yes. <laughs> of course <laughs> when I talked to um, Orian Westlund or we talked to Orian yeah. Westlund the other week he always said the story about the beer is more important than the actual beer 
Yes. From time to time. As long as the beer is good. Yes. The story is what sells it to me. What makes me want to try it. To drink it. Yeah. For me, it's it's more like when I come to a place in the countryside of Franconia. And I see a little rundown, but still working pub and brewery. I meet a, a, a grumpy brewer. He could be younger or older, but, you know, like in, in fatigues, uh, a bushy moustache. <laughs> and he asks, what do you want here? You come into the pub, you see the beer being poured from, from a barrel straight. You see the wood paneling, perhaps the fridges with oak doors. You start to talk to him. He has only one beer. Would you like to see the brewery? Well, of course. <laughs> he has a preserved cool ship, open fermenters. You feel the smell of manure in the yard. There are some hens picking, some older ladies drinking beer in the garden behind the brewery. That's what I need. Uh, yeah, that's what sells it to you yes. and, and me both. Yeah. It, it's so cool. And I must say, first time I went to the Czech Republic yes. and went a bit off-piste, yes. so to speak. Because you should. It doesn't. You don't need to walk more than five minutes from Starometsky Namesti or the old town uh, square. Yes. If you walk for five minutes and you see a, a sign with Pilser Okvel or Gamrinus or Slato Pramen or whatever, yeah, and it's it's just a normal residential building. Yes. You go in the door and it's always a stair down to the right or down to the left. Yes. <laughs> and you have this grumpy man standing behind the bar who won't say a word to you. Yeah. But if you say Vepivo. You get two beers, and they're absolutely fantastic. Yes. And you don't speak to this barman for four hours, and you sit there and drink beer. Yeah. And the next time you come through the door, he'll pour you beer, put you down at the same table. Yes. He'll give you the best service in the world without saying a word. Yes. <laughs> That's very typical. It's very Czech. Yes. And I, I kind of like that service. Yeah. They're not on you and going like, no, no, no. what would you like? <laughs> what do you think of the beer? It's like, of course you like the beer. It's the best beer in the world. I'm pouring <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not here to, to talk to you. I'm here yeah. to serve you. <laughs> I remember in the 80s, there was a pub in the old town called Krušovická Pivnice that was before Krušovice was bought. It was a mm. really good regional brewery along with Pilsen Urquell, perhaps the best beer in the country. And it was it was a very large-ish, uh, very busy beer hall north of the old town square and once I sat there the barman his name was Sochik I remember that he was a legend he looked a little like Ian Dury the punk legend (laughs) so I sat at the table and he looked at me and I put one finger up and then he disappeared and it like took five or ten minutes and then he came back to bring some glass and I said one beer please and he looked at me do you want one or two beers because you ordered one beer before. <laughs> so he, he thought it was too much communication to remind him. <laughs> That's the same mentality. Yeah. They're really proud of what they're doing, but they're not the show-offy no. at all. No. Well, there is a place also in the northern part of Old Town, uh, a newer place called Lokal, uh, with good tank urquil. And they have, I think, a, a very good middle path because it's it's very traditional, very good beer, only traditional food. But they act like if you're a foreigner and come there, I speak Czech, but for other people mm. that don't speak Czech, you're like treated quite civilized. <laughs> so <laughs> they have menus in English. When you bring yeah. children, you got a cushion for mm. the child to sit on. Uh, most of, of the waiters speak good English. 
and they will explain what the food is. So even if it's very charming with the old Czech style, which you find in, in Franconia as well, for that matter, it's not a harm for the Czech beer culture that you have places that are a little more outgoing. You have, you have some weird places in Prague as well. Yes. Like uh, Pivovarsky Dom. Yes. Which do uh, nettle beer and champagne beer. And, yes. And they've actually turned their ventilation system from the brewery it's blown out from the brew works so it smells like warts in the restaurant, in, in the restaurant yes. all the time because they've actually turned the ventilation system <laughs> so everyone's sitting there it's like oh it smells like a brewery proper yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of nice <laughs> what can be done to have people drink better quality beer you have to expose them to good beer so if you are really that much into beer that you are prepared to pay a little for traveling you should go, it depends on what style you like, but you should go to San Diego or uh, Yorkshire or Belgium or Franconia or the Czech Republic or some other places for that matter, Dusseldorf, uh, Dublin. There are some classic beer spots with fairly, they can seem simple, the beer styles, but they are masterly brewed often. And uh, well, you have to discover for yourself the qualities of the beers. So I, I don't think that there is a way around it. Right. If you live in a city like Stockholm, you have good opportunities to visit some good pubs here with, with, with a good selection. It's coming more and more outside of Sweden now, but Sweden was one of the first countries where you can actually go yes. and drink beer from all over the world, drink quality beer from all yes. over the world. If you go to the Czech Republic, you drink Czech beer. Yes. If you go to England, you drink British beers. Yes. If you go to Belgium, you drink Belgian beers. Mm. But it's here in Sweden, since we haven't had or our beer culture was kind of dead for so long. Yes. We had to appropriate all different styles and yes. bring in so much mm. more. Yes. We are today outside the main beer belt, just like with wines. So I think, I mean, if we will go to Sustiabolaget and buy some wine, we can choose about a good Riesling or a good Cabernet Sauvignon. So, But people from these regions will drink their own wines, of course, be it red or white. Uh, the same with beer. I mean, you had the odd lager in, in every British pub, but w w what you should drink uh, when you go there is the, the bitter. But in Stockholm, it's not that new. It, it was like 15 years ago. You could walk around pubs that are quite close to each other and have uh, top-quality Belgian beers, Czech beers, now Franconian beers. It's really... Swedish within, beers. Swedish, of course. So uh, it's really within walking distance because Stockholm is not that big. So it's 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 really fun. I think that's also one of the reasons why Swedish brewers have taken on so many styles mm. and do so many different beers because our beer history was forgotten over so many years. Yes. Final question. You want to put the final question to him? You have one day left to live. Yes. What are you drinking? Orval. <laughs> <laughs> I think that he shares the first spot with uh, Ole when it comes to answering the quickest. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> most people think really, oh God, what last beer of my yeah. life? I have got this question so many times. <laughs> so I decided uh, a couple of years ago that I will always say the same, even if it's not true, perhaps. <laughs> it, it's really one of the best candidates. And also because it's, it's a brand that in itself is a beer style, so you won't offend anyone when you say Orval. And was also the first beer over 6% sold at Systema Logit. Yes. Janko, absolute pleasure. So, so much fun to have you in the podcast yep. again. Really fun. Fun uh, to meet you, finally. Yeah. <laughs> so. And 
have a great day. Uh, I know you're kind of in a quarantine right now and been for almost a year. Yes. Hopefully this will uh, be relaxed a bit in the future. But um, yes, I wait for the needle and then... And then <laughs> vaccine and then you're out again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, hopefully I'll, I'll meet you when you've gotten the vaccine at San Francisco or somewhere else here in Stockholm. Yes. Uh, both me and Rasmus. Oh, yeah. And whatever you do, guys, drink, drink better, better beer.